Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. John Huber, as you well know, is a frequent guest on the program, U.S. Attorney for the District of Utah, uh, keeping this great state safe. When we talk, though, it is so often in relation to, uh, you know, federal crimes of uh, violence or firearms or or drugs or uh, something along those lines. So when I saw a report come from his office the other day uh, under the headline, Utah man and his company indicted for wildlife trafficking, it got my attention. And I thought, well, that is something different. And as I dug uh, even deeper and learned more about uh, the, the allegations against this Utah man, I had, to, I had to dive into the history books. I had to dive into the history books over 100 years old, specifically 120 years old, going back to 1900 and the passage of the Lacey Act. Yeah, the Lacey Act, uh, named after John F. Lacey, introduced by uh, a representative uh, from Iowa. Uh, very basically, it's a part of conservation law here in the United States that prohibits trade in wildlife, fish, and plants that have been illegally taken, possessed, transported, or sold. And there is a Utah right now. Uh, facing charges uh, based on the Lacey Act. Uh, joining us now to explain all of this is John Huber, U.S. Attorney for the District of Utah. Uh, Mr. Huber, sir, how are you? Hey, live Mike with Lee. I am doing great. It's nice to be on your show again. That's right. Uh, let me ask you this. How how often, or have you at ever, at any time in your service, uh, charged anyone under the terms of this act? Well, we have had similar cases, and it is surprising. You know, it wasn't too long ago at the beginning of my tenure that we had what we called the snakes on a plane case, where we had these albino boa constrictors who had been smuggled in from uh, Brazil, and we expatriated. They were expatriates, and we repatriated them to Brazil. So, yeah, we've done a few of these. Okay, I have to admit, that sounds more interesting than this story. <laughs> <laughs> You, did, how involved were you in the repatriation of, of illegally smuggled snakes? I sent my assistant prosecutors to the Brazilian embassy in Washington, D.C., where they received a standing ovation. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Oh, my gosh. Uh, listen, uh, let, let's put a pin in that one. I want to chat with you about that story again, so, or, or maybe speak with one of those assistant attorneys. That sounds absolutely fascinating. Uh, but, but, but this story, uh, the story at hand here today, doesn't deal with live animals. What, 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 are the, what are the details of this indictment? Yeah, we're not talking about live animals at all here, but we're talking about, well, gee, we've got a whole list of them. We have insects, bats, lizards, turtles, flying foxes, monitor lizards, the skeletons of a number of these animals that were, you know, most of them come from Indonesia, Southeast Asia, and uh, brought here to the U.S. and then sold. And so you get a $4 bug. Someone, you know, a, someone like this defendant pays $4 for a bug from Indonesia. He turns that around into a $65 paperweight. And there is quite a strong market demand out there for these types of items. Uh, it sounds to me, you know, uh, the uninitiated, uh, like, uh, like a good business deal. What, what, uh, where does the illegality come from? 
Well, the problem here is we have persistent and pervasive skirting of the law. You know, these laws, like you said, been around for over 100 years. They are to protect the world's wildlife. And so that bugs and creepy crawlies of Indonesia don't go the way of the American bison. And, you know, that's the reason behind the law is so that uh, these little cute little bugs and butterflies and lizards, uh, they, they continue to exist. And there still is room for a lawful market here. But you've got to obey the rules to help the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service make sure you know, we don't have a history story 100 years from now that we're like we tell about the American bison. The, when you when you make reference to the American bison, I think of uh, there are some historical photos. I think maybe James Brady might have taken. I don't know. Uh, but there's some historical photos where you have the, the skulls of bison stacked maybe 30, 40 feet tall in a, in a pyramid. Uh, really just a, an example of that species essentially being eradicated from this country due to uh, just rampant. Uh, industrial scale uh, hunting, uh, and that—that's the fear for some of these species. You say, yeah, it is. And you know, this this part of the investigation, this Utah part, was really a spinoff of a global operation, a broader global operation by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, but in this case, you have five years of conduct of skirting the law between 2015 and as recently as September of this year. And you have 460 wildlife items. I think that's a conservative calculation that includes all those types of animals. And, yeah, there's a there's a lawful market here, but there is such a demand that we could see without regulation, without following the policy mm. behind the law, uh, you know, you could see an eradication of a species like the flying fox and the monitor lizard. These are protected species that we need to be concerned about their future. Is it, is it fair to say that these species were, were smuggled in? Is that the allegation? And, and, and if so, how was the smuggling executed? Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a fair uh, estimation of the type of conduct we have here. We have um, surreptitious packaging, you know, trying to misguide customs officials as it enters the United States. We have the way it was shipped into the United States to try to get around the ports of entry that would have the personnel to, to find these types of products. And so you see skirting the law, you see someone who should know better and does know better. In fact, he has a license to do this type of importing, and then he just ignores the obligations that he has to inform the United States government as to what's coming into the country, what's the animal, what type of animal, how many, and how it's going to be handled here once it gets to the market. What, uh, what are the potential consequences for something like this? Well, it's it's pretty serious. You know, when you talk to me on the phone, Lee, I'm usually talking about felony conduct. And uh, two of the three charges that this defendant is facing are federal felonies. And just saying those words, federal felony, that's not a good day for someone on the other end of that. Uh, large fines, time in prison? Yeah, the maximum potential here is a large fine, like $250,000. Uh, up to five years imprisonment. Now, that's just the maximum the judge will take you into account. If this sure. person is convicted eventually, the judge will sort that all out in fairness. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, John Huber, thank you so much. Uh, and, and I'm serious. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the snake story again. Uh, that is, uh, I, listen, I vaguely remember the snakes on the plane uh, reference from some time ago. I want those details, though, and I'll, I'll get them out of you someday. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Hey, let's do it. All right. You bet, Jay. Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John Huber, U.S. Attorney for the District of Utah, my guest, talking here about uh, charges in an indictment uh, leveled against a Utah man for violating the Endangered Species Act and the Lacey Act.
if you really want to go down a rabbit hole, uh, Google around, learn yourself about the Lacey Act of 1900, 120-year-old law here being violated, uh, allegedly, uh, by a Utah. It's a fascinating thing, an uh, unfortunate thing that it's uh, been violated, but... Uh, or at least the allegation state. Uh, but we'll follow that story through on, on to its end there. Uh, I don't want to, you, you might notice I haven't named the the individual. Uh, I haven't named their store or anything like that. Uh, it has been reported elsewhere, uh, but I get, uh, you know, a little, not nervous, but I just want to be fair as these are only allegations. And my interest in this was uh, the examination of this relatively obscure and over 100-year-old law. All right, we're going to take a break right now, and I am so looking forward to the next segment. You know the Candy Bomber, right? Hal Halverson recently celebrated 100 years of life here on this great planet. Well, it has been suggested that he receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom. That's next on Live Mike. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 